Thank you, Pastor David. Thank you, uh, Nate, and, and uh, the rest of the staff here at the church uh, for having me uh, come and be a part of this service this morning in this way. And uh, it's an honor and it's a pleasure, I'll tell you, to uh, just to serve God, period. Um, you know, Pastor, you were talking about, you know, uh, just how the difficult moments come and the failures come in life. You know, and I feel like that every single day. Raising four kids, guess what? God has a way of showing how uh, you still got a bunch of junk in there <laughs> by your four kids, uh, two-year-old, three-year-old, 11, and 12. And so, you know, um, you know we've, uh, we've got quite the dynamic in our family. And, uh, you know, God continuously, every single day, shows me my frailties, shows me my deficiencies. And, and the thing is, is, as long as I'm open to, to his promptings, as long as I'm open to uh, the, the speaking of his spirit, the whispering, I like to call it, of his spirit, because, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't shout you down. You know, he doesn't come at you and, and, and demoralize you. But he comes in in that in that still small voice to to prompt you, and and to give you the word, to give you the truths that he has deposited in your lives over the months, years, or however long that you've known him, in order to to build you up and in order to let you know that it's okay. We're gonna fail, you know. We're gonna have those times in life where we just feel like that, man. This is just isn't working out, you know. Things just aren't going the way that I planned. You know, and, and the God that we serve is not a linear God. How many of us know that, right? He doesn't act upon, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I don't know if you guys have maybe even seen, like, the meme on, on Facebook where it says, my plan, and it just looks nice and rosy and flat-lined, and, you know, and, and everything just falls in line, and then it says God's plan, and there's all these rocks and valleys and, and you know, and all these things, you know. And, and, and I'll tell you, the, the 17, almost 18 years that I've served God, that's how my life has been. Uh, and, and, and I know it's for a purpose and it's for a reason, you know, and, and it's because it's for the building of, of his character in me because his sole purpose for me is not to give me some rosy life. It's not to give me my, the ultimate desires of my heart, though. He says he promises that he'll give you the desires of his heart for those who faithfully serve him. But his ultimate goal for my life, for your life, for all of our lives is to conform us to the image of his son. And that's been by far the hardest thing in my life to ever understand. Um, as I said, you know, almost over eight, almost 18 years ago, I gave my, I gave my life to the Lord in a radical way. Um, just to kind of give you a, just a real brief summation of, of how I came to know the Lord, because I think it's more important, not how I came to know the Lord, but how I stay knowing the Lord and how I stay on the rock and how I continue to live my life for him. Um, in 2002, after many years of, of being in and out of jail, prison, um, drug addicted lifestyle, um, you know, I lived for myself. You know, um, I grew up in Southern California, in San Diego, um, in the ghettos of, of, of Southern California. I did not come from affluency, uh, a rich family by any means. I, I had a mother who, um, whose husband left her. Um, my mother was married for three years to my biological father, uh, not even three months after I was born, and actually four months after I was born. Um, he just up and left my mother. Uh, we had moved back to San Diego. Um, left. I was born in Dallas about uh, a couple months after I was born, moved back to Southern California. That's where all my mother's family was at. And uh, my father came along with, uh, with my mother for the ride, um, I guess realized at some point in his life that he wasn't cut out to be a husband or a father and, uh, and deserted my mother. And um, so my mother was left to raise myself <clears throat> uh, for almost eight years uh, by herself, working as a single mother. My mother was not a, a spiritual person. Um, she was by no means. She never took us to church, never took me to church. Um, I do have a younger sister. Um, she came along, like I said, about eight years later, eight, nine years later. Um, but, you know, we were never, ever a family who ever um, was involved in church. And, you know, I knew very little about God growing up. Um, it wasn't until I was probably about seven years old and uh, we were living in, uh, in, in, uh, in some projects, project apartments. And uh, there would be uh, groups of church uh, people would come to the apartments and do what's called like a sidewalk Sunday school. And they would come and tell us about Jesus, bring us coloring books, play games, 
puppets and all that good stuff. And that was the first time I had ever learned about the Lord. And these people came faithfully week in and week out. They took us to camps every summer, and we would go up to the mountains, up to the Sahara Nevada mountains, and, and uh, just have an amazing time. And it was at that point in time, I was probably, like I said, maybe about seven, eight years old, that I realized that I wanted something different in my life. I was missing something in my life. Something just was not right about the life that I was living because the men that my mother would have coming in and out of our house, the partying, the drugs, all the different things... Uh, that were taking place in my life was just not what seemed right for me in life. Um, I had a stepfather that that came into the picture, um, who is the biological father of my sister. Um, He's a very abusive man, alcoholic. Um, His whole family ran drugs out of Tijuana, back and forth across the border. And so I was subjected to these things. Um, You know, the partying, coming in, just piles of drugs all over the place all the time. Just, it was, it was a mess. My life was an absolute mess, but the only peace and the only thing that I knew that was right in my life at that time were those people that used to come and visit me. They would come, like I said, faithfully. Every week they would come. And that was something that I hungered for in my life. It's something that I wanted in my life. A few years later, we moved into another neighborhood, a little bit nicer. My mother got a a little bit better of a job. We were actually able to rent a nice house, got out of the projects, and uh, we we moved into one of the suburbs of of San Diego. And there was a family that lived down the street, uh, and they used to go to a Baptist church. And they began to take me to Awanas, um, which is their youth kids' youth program. And uh, this family um, became just a staple in my life. I, I, I practically lived there um, because I, I saw something in that family unit that I hungered and desired. I mean, I saw love. I saw discipline. I saw compassion. I saw, you know, the, 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 the outbursts of, of, of anger, but it was handled in just the right way. It wasn't handled in the way that I was always used to seeing. And so this family inspired me. And, um, and, and today, honestly, I, 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 give, I give God so much glory and so much thanks that he put this family in my life because this family I, I, I know God used in a mighty and powerful way to really plant a seed in my life. Because it was just a few years later that we moved out of this suburb, out of this place, that I became drug addicted. Um, from the age of about 12 years old, I had an uncle that came and stayed for the summertime, kind of to watch me and my little sister um, while my mom and my stepdad, uh, well, my mom worked, my stepdad went out and did his thing. Uh, but he, he turned me on to drugs. And I began to smoke marijuana at that time. And from there, it was just total downhill slide for me. Um, I, I, I graduated slowly but surely into a life of degradation. Um, you know, just to mask the hurts and the pains of, of fatherlessness, of, of, of just the, 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 the anger and, and all the stuff, the, the violence and everything that I experienced in my home on a daily basis, drugs became my God. Drugs became the place that I can go and hide and find refuge and solace. But it was only what? Fleeting and it didn't last. You know, it, there was no substance to it whatsoever. But for years and years, from the time I was 13 years old, almost till I was about 30 years old, that this is where I found my comfort. But God has a way of bringing back those things that, he is, that he's deposited in your life and in your spirit and in your heart. And, and I thank God every single day that he never forgot me. Because I didn't serve him all those years. I, re- I even remember before I, I, went, I went to prison for the very first time, I remember that I, I even thumbed my nose at Christ and who he was. Oh, he was just a great philosopher. I knew him as a child. I gave my life to my creator, to my savior as a young boy, but yet the drugs and the life and everything that I had endured in life, I, I, I looked at God and shook my fist at God and said, you know what, all those things don't matter anymore because you've never done anything for me. I had no understanding of, of what it was that he was trying to do in my life. And, and, and I remember that, that, that one day standing, I was, I was at an apartment complex, been up partying all night. It's probably, you know, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. The sun was just like, it was middle of summertime. And I'm like looking at the sun in the sky and I'm like, that's power. That's power. God, you're nothing. But that sun up there, I can worship that. That's tangible. That's something I can see, I can touch, I can not touch, but I can feel. I know it's there. 
And I had said all these things about a God who as a young boy touched my life in such a profound way. I was so lost. I was just, I had no, I, I didn't know where I was at in life. There was nothing left. And the people that I hung around with at the time, you know, of course, they say you're your fr- they're your friends until you run out of dope and money. Then, of course, you know, uh, you know, well, who are you, you know? It's the kind of people I hung around with. Didn't care. Didn't care. But yet I, I still continued to, to run with that crowd and, and, and wanted to find something in them that I could hold on to, that I could call something in my life. Because my life was so empty, I had gone through so many different relationships that were, that were broken, that were based upon, you know, what, what I could give or what that person can give me. There's no unconditional love whatsoever in my life. And God finally had to arrest me. God finally just had to just stop my life. Because I had gone so far. I had drifted so far from what I knew was the truth about who he was. And he put those things in my heart and he put those things in my life so long ago, but he was never, ever going to let those things go. He was never, ever going to let those things just die and let me die in my sin or let me to continue on shunning him and, and shaking my fist at him and saying, I'll have nothing to do with you. When he had done so much for me already and he'd shown me something, something that I wanted and something that I loved so much. I went to prison for the very first time in 98, 1998. And I remember when I was there, it was just crazy life, of course, but there was a man that used to come, and he would come into the cell block, and, uh, and I hated him. I despised this man. He'd come every Saturday. He'd walk into the cell block. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. It's been a great day in the Lord. Let me tell you something. Life is good. God has done so many amazing things in my life today. I mean, he would come in just alive. Absolutely alive. And I want to share the word of God with you guys tonight. We're going to go out to the, to the, to the, uh, to the concrete out front. We're going to open God's word, and we're going to eat tonight, brothers and brothers. There was no sisters in there, of course. <laughs> we were wishing, yeah. <laughs> But this man would come in, and he, he was just like, wow. I mean, it, it blew my mind. But I would look at this guy, and I'd want to literally just bash his head in. Because I was Mr. Hardcore, egotistical dude, you know, that was running with the gangs in the prison. And, you know, and, and uh, wasn't, wasn't going to let that soft side of me ever be seen. You, you, you don't, you know, your, your, your kindness will be taken for weakness. And many of us know, uh, you know, you'll become somebody, somebody's female in there. <laughs> You know, when that, when that takes place, I don't give that any glory whatsoever, but it's the truth, and it's sad. But this guy would come in every single day just alive, alive. Even though I despised him, something deep down inside of my heart loved what I saw and wanted. I wanted every bit of what he had because I didn't have that. I was dead inside, absolutely dead inside. There was nothing, nothing good in me. It was nothing. And everything I saw in him was what I wanted. It's what I remembered from years ago. And I hungered for it. And I know God saw that. Because it wasn't but a couple years later, on my second go-around in prison, that God got a hold of my life in a radical way. But you know, sometimes he has to take everything from you. Everything. And at this point, he had taken everything. The one person in this world who loved me, who birthed me into this world and who would do anything for me. She turned her back on me in a loving way. She said, son, I can't do this anymore. I can't come to visit you anymore in this place. I can't give you money anymore. I can't watch you kill yourself anymore. I'm done. I love you. I'll be praying for you. But I can't. I'm done. She hung up the phone on me. She hung up the phone on me. And I just remember at that time that I felt like I was, I was the most hopeless 
that I've ever been in my life. The most hopeless I had ever been in my life. Because there was nothing, there was nobody. It was just me in this dark hole of a place, a pit, a pit of despair and, and rage and anger and loneliness and bitterness and, and degradation. You name it, that's what that place is. That's what prison is. I can only imagine what Joseph felt like in an Egyptian dungeon or what Paul felt like in a Roman dungeon. You know, honestly, those, those are country clubs. Honestly, compared to that, you know, if I, if I really look at it, but still, it's, they're not. They're a place that, that robs you of everything that's good in your life if you allow it. And I allowed it for so many years of my life. But God, God sent a man again in my life. You know, I was, I remember sitting there one night, Watch Baywatch. <laughs> My lustful self watching Baywatch, sitting there, and there was a there was a guy that was in in my in my cell, Christian brother. He used to you know just always you know Jason man come on in in the phone room over here man we're going to pray tonight I want to pray for you brother and I'd go in there every once in a while, but the whole time I was in there with him he never ever he was relentless on me. He was pursuing me. It was God pursuing me. And I look back, you know, of course, hindsight being 2020, I look back at that now, and I see it was God's relentless pursuit of me in my life. And, he, and, he, and the guy just would never, ever leave me alone. So I'm sitting under the TV one night watching Baywatch, and I remember it vividly. And um, this, this cell block that we're in is like a huge gymnasium. It's gigantic. There's TVs on both ends of it. Then, of course, all the little tables. And then all the cells are all around the outside and up top. And this guy is yelling at me from across the, from across the, the, the dorm. And because the, the picket or, the, or the, the, the guard desk is, is on this end, and that's where he's at. He's signing up for church that night. And he's wanting me to go to this service. And he's like, Jason, come on, man. You got to come sign. You only got five minutes left, man. They're, they're going to stop, you know, signing people up for church, man. He's just yelling and yelling. He won't let me, he won't leave me alone. And I'm just trying to duck and like, <laughs> man, I don't know this guy, man. Who in the world, you know, I mean, now I'm going to have to answer to these dudes. I'm going to have to beat somebody up tonight for calling me a sissy or, well, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to dodge this guy and he just won't shut up. And he went on and on and on. I promise you what seemed like about an hour. Okay. But it was you know, for the five minutes, but that's long enough. And I finally just said, okay, man, this guy's not going to quit until I, mean, until I get up and go over there and see what in the world he wants. So I get up and I'm like, what do you want, man? He's like, dude, you got to come to church tonight, man. This guy is going to be here tonight, man. He has got a word for you, brother. The Holy Spirit has told me this. It's how come I've been yelling at you. Put your name on the list. Let's go, man. Man, this dude ain't gonna leave me alone until I do this. All right, man. You know, so I sign the sign the church list. Well, they they call us out, and uh, long story short, God used this man in such a mighty and profound way. I, w I had been living in Austin before I'd gotten locked up that last time. I'd been in Austin for about twelve years, and uh, you know, I was a musician in the, you know, trying to break into the music scene on 6th Street, you know, South by Southwest and all that good stuff and just living that horrible, dirty lifestyle, you know, that's where I was broken from. But this guy that came that night came from the exact same place that I had been in life, the exact same musician, just, you know, been through, you know, just all, I don't even know how I'd never even met him before on 6th Street. You know, I mean, because we frequented all the same different places, the Steamboat, Emos, all these different uh, music venues we had played at. And I don't know how I missed him, but God just used this man in such a mighty way because he had given up all of that. He had given up everything, record deals, national record deals in order to serve God, to give his life to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ to lay down everything in his life for the one sole purpose, to let someone else know, get out of the pit. Because there's a life beyond this. The enemy in this world has come to kill, steal, and destroy, 
But God has come to give us life and give it to us in abundance. And God used this man in such a mighty way to pull me out of that pit. And he shared his story. And I, and I, and I, and I, I got radically saved that night because I went from an individual who didn't care. If you had something in prison, I would take it from you because I wasn't scared to fight. I'm like, come on, man. If I, even if I get my, my butt kicked, I didn't care. I'd get back up and let's go again, man. But I'd take your stuff from you. I didn't care. You know, I, I, I do, I just run over you. Just, uh, just the life that that's who I was. And after that service that night, one, my, my, my Sally, he was like, you know, he had just gotten a bunch of story, went, you know, to, to, uh, to the commissary and bought, you know, a bunch of stuff, you know, and I had nothing because my mother said, bye Jason, <laughs> you know, and so my box was empty and, uh, and he said, man, you know, hey, I just, you know, went to the store, bought a bunch of stuff. If you want something, man, just go ahead and help yourself. Well, I knew something had changed in me when I had a desire for some of his peanut butter. And I didn't just go in there and take it, even though he'd given me permission. And where normally I would just go take it anyway. I went and searched the whole cell block out there to find where he was, went and asked him, hey, man, can I have some of your peanut butter? And I'm like, wait a second, man. What in the world is going on? What? I mean, something radically had happened, you know? And, and I, I got the Bible, and I started reading God's Word. And, man, the book of Peter just, oh, my goodness, just about ripped me to shreds, you know? And I was reading First and Second Peter, and, and, I mean, the book was alive. I'm just like, that's me. That's me. Man, that's me. Oh, God. Okay, that's me again, you know? And just going through the scriptures and, and seeing more and more of who I was and who God was making me into. And I had, and like I said, I had given my life radically to the Lord at that point, and I never, ever turned back. And that was, that was in 2002. 2004, I got out of prison and went to a ministry called Calvary Commission. And because uh, I knew that I couldn't go back to the streets, I had to go someplace. When I left that place, I had to go somewhere that was going to simply teach me how to be a disciple, not just be some common individual who just, okay, you know, the word of God's great, you know, let me go back to work and life and all that good stuff. I knew that if I did not get somewhere after getting saved, that my life was going to just fall into tragedy again. And I wanted, I was sold out. I was sold out to him because again, like I said, something had so miraculously happened to me that I didn't even understand it at the time. I didn't know what had taken place. You know, of course, later I, I kind of likened my conversion to Paul's, you know, being knocked off of his horse and blinded, you know, and groping around going, God, what's going on with me? What's happening? That's how I felt. I didn't know what was going on in my life, and I knew I needed something to give me direction to open, to open my eyes so the scales would fall off my eyes, that I can begin to see what God's plan and his destiny was for my life and what he was doing because I had no understanding of what it was. So I had went to this ministry that was, you know, that, that God used to literally save my life, to teach me how to be a man of God. And I was there, and that's where I met my first wife. And I got married in 2005 for the very first time in life. Um, she brought a, 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 a stepson. I had another stepson. And, you know, this kind of just falls into something that God has, has, has spoken to me over the years that that God was going to, that God was making me into a father to the fatherless because I had been fatherless. And, and the first one was from my first wife. And so we got married. Uh, we had uh, my daughter, Alyssa, in, in 2008, she was born. Um, and I was involved in ministry. I was a youth pastor, uh, associate pastor of my church in, in Tyler, Texas. And uh, met Nate some years uh, after that uh, in, in the School of Discipleship. We, Nate and I actually were, uh, were classmates, and, and we got uh, ordained together, went through, went through uh, uh, the, 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 the training. And this was my life, you know, and, and life was great. You know, I was a part of this international ministry. I was traveling all over the world. I've, I've been blessed to, to, been on, to, to have been on five of the seven continents of this world, you know. I just, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to Antarctica and preach to any penguins down there, but, 
but but God has 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 used me, you know, to be able to to travel all over the world to bring His message of love and hope to people who are hopeless and who have nothing, you know. And so for for almost twelve years of my life, this was my life. And in two thousand and fifteen, um. God kind of changed some things in my life. Said it's time to to move. It's time for you to do. It's time for me to do a new thing. So my wife and I, we prayed about it, and we felt like that we were supposed to come to Dallas, Texas. We had been serving. Uh, I had been taking my youth group and many groups to uh, Dallas Metro Ministries. Uh, used to be called Dallas Metro. It's been. It's had several different names now. Pastor Clay Wallace and his wife Barbara were very, very dear to us, dear friends, and we had been serving with them for probably about 10, 10 of the 12 years that I was a youth pastor. We had been just helping them out and doing different things, and uh, we just felt like that that was supposed to be the next call and the next move in our lives, and so we prayed about it, talked to our pastor about it first. You know, we didn't, we didn't go to Pastor Clay and say, hey, Pastor Clay, we think we're supposed to come here. No, we went to our pastor first, went to our covering, and said, look, this is what God is doing, um, you know, want you to pray for us and, uh, and, and want to feel a release to be able to go talk to Pastor Clay about this, this thing that God is doing, you know. And uh, we, we prayed for a couple months, um, talked with Pastor Clay, and, and lo and behold, God was moving us. He was moving us to this new thing in life, this new ministry in life. So we left Tyler, Texas, uh, July of 2015, and moved to Dallas, and we were living on uh, on the property there with uh, Pastor Clay and his wife and the in the team there serving, doing sidewalk Sunday school outreaches and different things. You know, because that was my heart, my life. Because guess what? The same ministry that they do to the kids in the ghettos and in in, uh, in in the projects was the exact same thing that God did for me as a young boy. He took he he, he took people and brought them to me in the ghetto when I was lost and I had nothing. And I knew this was right. I knew this is where God was calling me because it was the same exact thing. You know, God tends to do that. You know, he uses those things that, that you've been called out of, you know, that you've been called from, and he uses those things and he deposits those in you and uses you to go right back and, and minister to people in those exact same ways. Just like, you know, me as being a musician, I used to go to churches and I hate the worship part of the, of the service. Before I became a believer, I used to hate the singing in, in church services. I was like, can this be over now? You know, uh, standing up, clapping my hands, you know, I'll fly away. That's not for me. You know, (laughs) let's get that portion over. I just want to hear the word, you know. And then, of course, he makes me, you know, a worship leader. (laughs) God's got a funny sense of humor in that way, you know. But he he did the exact same thing in ministry. And so we we left, went 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 beside Pastor Clay and his wife here in Dallas and we were serving. Um, everything was great, man. God was just doing amazing and mighty things. Um, it, it was just, it, it was, it was just unprecedented. The different, the, the different things that God was allowing me to do, just to speak into these young boys' lives. And so many of the young boys that I had known from camp, from years past, were still out there, grown up, half teenagers. Some of them still serving God. Some of them just lost, you know. But still, God was using my wife and I in such a mighty way. And then in October of 2015, tragedy struck my life. My wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer just out of nowhere. I mean, she had been having some issues, some things, you know, that really didn't seem like they were major, you know, but... You know, we just we just kind of passed them off of maybe just some, you know, some stomach issues. You know, there wasn't anything that was, you know, real significant in, in the things that we saw going on in her life that would give us any clue that she had cancer. And Halloween night, you know, we took my daughter to a movie, and we were in, in the movie theater, and she couldn't even get up out of the chair, out of the movie theater when the movie was over with, and we knew something was wrong. We get to the house, take Alyssa home. I take her to the emergency room. And um, I remember I left. She said, you go home, take Alyssa with you, because it was taking forever. You know, it was almost like 1 o'clock in the morning now that before they would even get her in there to see her or anything like that. And she's like, just go home. 
I'll, I'll be up here if there's anything. You know, I got my phone. I'll give you a call, let you know, you know. So I took Alyssa home, went home, and fell asleep on the couch. And I remember waking up about 4.35 o'clock that morning and looking at my phone, and I had like 25 missed calls from her. And I'm like, what in the world, man? So immediately, you know, of course, I call back. And uh, she says, Jason, they said that I have cancer. What? Yeah. You know, within, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this part of my life, but two things, you know, I, the, the cancer was so aggressive that there was no treatment that was helping her whatsoever. And we knew this, left Dallas, went back to, to uh, Lindell. I had a house there. I was always welcome to come back to. And um, she just made the sole decision, you know, that, you know, all this treatment stuff's not working. It's not fair to put you through this. It's not fair for Alyssa to have to live in hospitals 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, just the, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. But she made the executive decision to put her hands in, in God's, in God's hands, to put her life in God's hands. Says, whatever he wants to do, we're going to pray. He heals me, praise God. If he doesn't, it's his will. So I took her home and I took care of her 24 hours a day, seven days a week, three whole months. February 19th, 2016, she passed away in my arms. So at that point in life, you know that. Stuff gets real, man. Even through the process of it all, it was real. Didn't understand it. You know, so many different emotions, so many different feelings. And it took me back to a place in my life where I began to shake my fist at God again. What are you doing, man? You know? And I felt like the enemy had robbed me of so much of my life. And yet here it is again. What are you doing, man? Throughout the whole process. And, you know, you don't understand. You try to process things. You try to, to be spiritual about it, you know. I remember... And, 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 I, and I was sincere when I, when I said this, you know, in, in the scripture in Job, we know that says that though he slay me, yet I was still serving. I knew deep down in my heart that I never want to let go of God, never want to let go of his hand. But yet there's a part of me that's weak and frail, human, if you will, that absolutely just was raging mad. Because my life, as I knew it, was not life anymore. Not life anymore. And I went through a very, very dark time in my life. Very dark time in my life. But I want to give God glory in this because he gave me this story in scripture. And I want to share, share it with you guys this morning. Because it was this story that I, I had preached a message on this story years, years ago, and in the in the darkness and despair of my life, God, you know, he, he always knows how to minister to you. He always knows how to bring those things you need at the right time. May not be on your time, but it's the right time, and it's his time. And he brought this this, this story back to remembrance in in First Samuel chapter thirty, verses one through twenty. It's you know it's a pretty long story, but there is such, such meat and such profoundness in this story. And it starts because, see, the enemy had come into my life and he had stolen so much out of my, from me in my life. For so many years of my life, this rogue of the universe, the, the one who, who, who does anything and everything to destroy God's people at any cost, had wreaked havoc in my life and I felt like that he had wreaked havoc in my life once again. 
and not going back to the understanding that God allows, he, he only allows the enemy to do whatever he has. God is sovereign. He has control of, of everything. And there is nothing that the enemy can put his hand to unless God says, I may let you touch a small portion or I'll take it all. <laughs> you leave him alone. It's all in his hands. And, and my life at that time felt like it had just collapsed into nothing. And in this story, David's life had collapsed in the exact same way. Everything that he had known, everything that he had loved had been ripped from him and stolen. He says that he came back. He says, now when David and his men came home, came home to Ziglag, on the third day, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the south and the Negev and on Ziglag and had struck and burned it with fire and had taken the women and all who were there, both great and small, captive. And they killed no one, but carried them all off and went on their way. And it says, so David and his men, they came to the town and behold, it was burned and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the men that were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. I had no more strength to weep anymore in my life. I was at such a dark, dark point in my life when God gave me this that I, I couldn't cry. There was no more tears to cry. The hurt, that ball that was there, it was there, but there was no more anguishing over it to the point where I could even bring any more tears to my eyes anymore. I had cried and I had wept and I had wailed so much over the loss and everything that had happened in my life. I felt like David, that I had no more strength to weep anymore. It, did, it would do no good. It did me absolutely no good. In verse 5 says, And David and David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and the Jezreelite and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the, the Carmelite. And it says in verse 6 that David was greatly distressed for even the men spoke of stoning him because of the souls of them all were bitterly grieved. Each man for his sons and his daughters. I know, Pastor, you can probably relate to this. You know, leaders are always the one to blame, right? Everybody around is ready to throw stones at the leaders, right? When stuff goes wrong, <laughs> you know. And they were looking at David. It's your fault, David. The enemy was surrounding me saying, Jason, it's your fault. I began to feel condemnation over what had happened to her. Maybe if I would have, you know, helped her exercise more or, or, you know, maybe, you know, and, you know, ate right things or, 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 or got her to the doctor earlier, you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, been there, you know, just when, I, when, I, when I knew the symptoms. You know, there's so many things the enemy tried to use to condemn me in that situation. And again, I felt like David yet again, the enemy just berating me, ready to stone me. Oh, they were stoning me because I had nothing left. But this is the kicker right here. This was the lifesaver for me. At the end of this verse, it says, but David encouraged himself and strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. But David encouraged and strengthened himself. And that word literally means to, to fasten yourself to. Not that you can hold on to <laughs> Not that you have even any, any grip to, but you take some part of you, some truth, something, some substance, and you take that and you fasten that to God. And you say, God, you're dragging me along. I don't care where it is. It's like David said, you know what? Regret has to come into the presence of God. Sadness, no, I'm dragging it into the presence of God. My anger, I'm dragging it into the presence of God. And that's what I had to do. That was the only thing that was going to allow me to get up out of the pit that I was in. And I literally fashioned myself to God and I said, okay, Lord, whatever you're going to do, I have nothing left but to trust you. I have nothing left to trust you but to trust you. And he encouraged himself. And then it says David did this. He went to Abiathar the priest 
and Ahimelech's son, and he said this. He says, I pray that you bring me the ephod. And he brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And I love the Lord's answer. The Lord said, Yes, pursue, for you will surely recover them, and without fail, recover all. Sometimes when we're in a dark place in life, we got to get a rhema word from God. But it's only when we get into his presence, when we fashion ourselves to him, when we encourage ourselves in him, and we say, okay, God, I have nothing left. God, I need a word from you. I need something from you to give me hope, to spur me on in this life, to give me some direction in life. And God gives it to David. But he gives him inadequate information, if you notice. He doesn't tell David exactly who was there, where they're at, which way they went. He just says, get up and go. You know, and, and God, that's, that's how God works. He doesn't give all the information up front. He, he didn't even write the Bible like that. You know, he used, what, 40 authors over 1,600 years to write his word. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't give us all the information up front, but he simply says this, get up and move. And as you move, he'll begin to give you more information as you go. And that's what he told David. He said, just get up and go. If you do so, you're going to recover all. So here is David, inadequate information, but okay, God. So he says it took, he took what, 200? It says David took, uh, he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind because they were too exhausted know what that's all about. <clears throat> they could not cross over the, the brook Pazor. And as they were going, they found this Egyptian boy. They found this Egyptian boy. And it says, when they found this guy in the field, they said they brought him to David and, uh, and, and they gave him bread. They gave him something to eat. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of fig, two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten and his spirit had returned to him, for he had eaten no food or drank any water for three days or three nights. And it said, David said to him, who are you? Who do you belong to? And this, this Egyptian boy goes, well, <clears throat> I'm, um, and he says, Where are you, where'd you come from? And he says, I am a young man of, of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me because three days I fell sick. And when we had, when we had made a raid on the south, the Negev, of the Chaharites, and upon which belongs to Judah, and upon the south of Negev, Caleb, and we burn Ziglag with fire. Now, wait a second. David didn't ask that boy all that information, did he? He just said, who are you? Where are you from? And this boy gives all this information. And what information is it? It's the information that David needs what? To find where his stuff is, the inadequate information that God didn't give him. God just said, just get up and go, David. But as David went, this boy, this Egyptian boy, if, if you think about this, he's, he's sickly on the side of the road. He looks no earthly good to anybody. Think about it. What is it that this young boy would be able to do for David? You know, he was no earthly good. But David didn't pass him up. David stopped, fed the boy got him his strength back, asked him a question, and guess what? He found, he got all the information that he needed. And seeing in life, when, when we're going through life and we're so inward focused on all of our problems and all of our distresses, and we see people, God sends angels unaware, the, the word of God says. We entertain angels unaware sometimes. And if we don't stop long enough to be a blessing to somebody who doesn't look like they're going to be able to reciprocate to us, it could be that very person that God is using as an instrument of his will to, to, to allow you to get back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. If you will along the way become a blessing, God will use things to bless you or use those things to, to, uh, you know, to get your blessing back. A lot of people come to church you know, and, and, and they want their blessing. They come here for, for their blessing of some type or some form. But when it's not when we're looking outward, when we're not looking to reach into somebody else's life, 
who looks like that they can serve me in no way, shape, or form whatsoever, that when we pass these things up, we could be passing up the very thing that God wants to use to get your life back. And God said, Jason, get up. Get back to the things that I taught you. Get back to the things that are real in life. Get back to the things that, that matter in life. Start helping people again. Start reaching into people's lives. Go to those little boys out there in those ghettos and those, in those apartment complexes in the, in, in the projects and go back and do what I taught you to do. And I got back on my feet again and I just began to minister and I began to, 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 to do the things that I knew to do that God had commanded me to do, that God had set forth in this story right here to do. And lo and behold, on my way to doing these things and on my way to reaching into people's lives who weren't going to reciprocate anything to me, but I simply just went to love them and to tell them about a God who is able to save, who is able to rescue, who is a redeemer, who is a forgiver, and who died and bled for us on the cross that God gave me back everything and more. Amen? He gave me a beautiful wife today, an amazing wife. I don't have just one kid. I've got three kids now. <laughs> three, four, well, four all together. Four all together. But through now, you know, so, I mean, God gave me more. Because in this story, if you read it, we're not going to go through all of it, but it says that when he got there, when, 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 when that Egyptian boy gave him the info that he needed, it says he creeped up on the Amalekites and there they all were spread out partying because of all the spoils that they had taken from all their raids. And it says that David whooped their behinds from sunup to sundown and routed every single one of them, amen? And not only did he get his stuff back, but he got back all everybody else's stuff that had gotten robbed. And I feel like today, that's my life today. God has given me such an amazing family. God has given me so much. He has made me rich in ways that I never, ever thought possible. Yeah, did I, did I, did I suffer tragedy? Did I suffer lost? loss? Yes, I did. But God reminded me of this one thing, that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. My late wife was an amazing woman. Always, always will be remembered. Selfless, awesome lady, woman of God. She loved the Lord. But she's not here anymore. She's in glory. Healed 100%. Amen. 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 But I have an amazing wife today that God has aligned me with and said that you're to love her and to cherish her and to build her up and to take our kids and to raise them in, in, in a godly way and to extend my kingdom through these. Because I promised you, Jason, a long time ago that I was going to make you a father to the fatherless. And that's who my boys are. That's who my boys are. And God continues to use me in that, in that way. And it's, and it's, and it's just, it, 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 it's, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing at times. But if we in the face of tragedy, we'll just encourage ourselves in the Lord, fasten ourselves to him, hang on, get a word from him, a word that I know that he's deposited in every single person in here, something, God has given you something, every one of you, something, as a nugget in your life, and you may not even realize what it is now, but it's not if tragedy will strike, but it's when, because Jesus promised this. He says, in this life, you will have trials. You will have troubles. It's, they're coming. It's just natural, right, Frank? It's natural. But God is good, brother, because look at the miracle that was here this morning. That is the mightiness of the God in which we serve. That is a testimony of his awesomeness and his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. No matter who we are, no matter what we feel inside about ourselves, no matter what we think about ourselves, it's what he thinks about us. My wife and I were sharing last night. It's 
she comes up with the craziest ideas sometimes. I love her so much. And we sit and just talk about the craziest things. But we were talking about how husbands, uh, you know, get to see their wives in, in ways that no one else gets to see them. You know, makeup lists, you know, or just in the worst of worst conditions even sometimes, you know. And we were just kind of like, isn't that just crazy how, you know, and no one will, you know, will really ever see me like you see me, Jason, you know. And I think about that. But then she said, you know what? God sees us that way, though, all the time. He sees everything. There is nothing that he does not miss about our character and about who we are, you know? And, 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 it's, and it's amazing that, that we serve such an amazing, mighty God, and it doesn't matter what's going on inside of us. It doesn't because he is always there, and he is mightier than those things. He is mightier than those things. So get a word from him. Pursue. Get up. Put feet to faith. Because again, it, it, you guys remember the Indiana Jones, the Last Crusade? I love the Indiana Jones series, but the Last Crusade was probably like my favorite one about the Holy Grail, right? And and Indiana has to go through like these four tests of of of, of biblical kind of testing in a sense to go to find this room where the Holy Grail is. And one of the last ones is, is it's about faith. And he's standing across this chasm that there's nothing there, you know, and he's reading the riddle. He's like going, okay, you know, I can't remember exactly how it went, but it had something to do with just putting your foot out and just taking a step, you know, and, and he's looking and there's just, there's thousand foot drop, you know, and he's like, well, what in the world? So he just takes the piece of paper puts it to his side, closes his eyes, puts his foot out, and puts his foot down, and lo and behold, there's an invisible bridge that's there, you know? And that's, in, you know, and, and, that's, and that's what God does for us in our lives. He simply says, trust. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't always look like it's supposed to look. Doesn't always feel good. Doesn't always feel right. But don't be driven by emotions. Don't be driven by thoughts. Don't be driven by feelings because they will deceive you every single time. I use drugs to mask those things. But God, if we simply trust him, wherever we put our foot down, he's always going to make a place for it to land if we're putting our trust in him in that way. Get a word from him. Pursue and know that along the way, bless somebody else. Be a blessing to somebody else. Be about the ministry. Be about helping somebody. Come on, we pull up to these QT. I, you know, I drive the, the Metroplex all day long, and my wife just laughs because I always spend a bunch of money at these QTs and 7-Elevens. But I feel like I'm there for a reason a lot of times because God always puts some homeless guy or some person that just looks just whacked out standing in front of the door ready to, to hit me up for some money, and I can just see eyes just on me. You know, Even before I get out of the truck, he's already kind of poisoned himself to... How is he gonna how is he gonna approach me to ask me for something, you know? And I love it because it's like silver and gold I have not, but what I do have, brother, I'm gonna give it to you. You know, let's rise up and walk this thing out. It's called life with God, you know? And God gives me these opportunities to minister to people in that way. You know, be a blessing to somebody out there. I mean, don't be shy, man. God has given us not the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. He's given us the word, it's scripture, and these people need us. You know, come on, we walk into these stores all the time and see them. You know what I'm saying? Don't just be like, oh, I'm sorry, man, I ain't got anything, you know, and keep going. Sometimes I want to do that. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm not always the one that's going to just go up and minister, you know, all the time. But we have to because they need a word. Whether, hey, whether they get saved right there on the spot or not, it's okay. It's not your responsibility to save anybody. It's your responsibility to share the truth with them. Amen. And pray. And then watch God return everything that the enemy has stolen. Amen? If, the, if our piano player just have a time of prayer, I guess the prayer team, if they would come up today, I know that, you know, there, there's somebody in here today that just needs a word from God right now. There's somebody here I know that just needs to, to, to take the hurts and the fears and all the things that they've been dealing with in life and just need someone just to kind of come alongside them this morning and to pray with them and to encourage them. And this is I'd I love for, uh, again, for God just to do just a, a work today in, in your hearts and in your lives. And I pray that this word, this message today has, has really encouraged you. 
to take steps that you normally wouldn't. To reach out to a God who's faithful, who's loving and trustworthy in every way. Just allow him to do a work in your heart and your life today. If that's you, if you need someone to pray with you this morning, again, this is a time for you to come and and just allow our prayer team just to lift you where you can't be lifted yourself. Father, we thank you this morning, God, for your faithfulness, Lord, for your word, God. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you just continue, Father, continue, Father, to, to bring those things out of us, God, that are not of you, Father. Fear and anger, anxieties, God. And that, that we would cast these things down, cast these things aside, Lord. That for you, God, we would be strong and mighty in you, Lord God. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in you, Lord. To the pulling down of strongholds, God, your word says. Casting down every vain imagination and every high thing that tries to exalt itself against the name of God. And Lord, I know so many are suffering, God, from the the hurts of the past, God. And the enemy, God, who has come and robbed and stolen, Lord. But again, you are mighty, God. This is not a fleshly fight, God. This is a spiritual fight. And so we fight them today with prayer and with spiritual things, God. That again, Lord, victory, God, would would take place, God. That people would rise up, Lord. Your people would rise up, Lord, and take their place, Lord. For your kingdom, for your honor, and for your glory, Lord. We love you and praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Right now, their own hearts, their own way, in their 
your own voice as they surrendered you. Lord, flood them with the goodness of your grace. Flood their hearts and their souls with your, with your hand and your purpose and your anointing. Let them know, Lord Jesus. Lord, let, just like we heard the testimony, let them know that today, in this moment, that something changed in their life. You raise your hand. I just want you to pray this in your own way. Just say, Lord Jesus, I give it all to you. My time of running is done. My time of anger and shaking my fist towards you is done. Life may not have been fair, but Lord, you gave me more than I deserve when you paid the price on the cross. And so today, I give it to you. Come into my life and transform me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, you thank, we thank you for this word today. We ask you to bless and to anoint. Lord, let us all leave, Lord, full of your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.